the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. It's always fun to catch up with Matt Mayer of Opportunity Ohio. He's the president of Opportunity Ohio. If you want to know about business in Ohio and you want a really smart take on it, Matt will provide it for you. He's on Twitter at Ohio Matt and Opportunity Ohio is opportunityohio.org. And business and politics are intertwined. So I wanted to bring you on, Matt, to talk about the Trump rally. Not so much the rally, but the phenomenon around the primary being so close to a rally. He's going to introduce and endorse J.D. Vance in person, and we've certainly had a spirited primary on the Republican side. Uh, do you think that the Trump endorsement of J.D. Vance will prove transformative if you had to pick a horse in the race right now? Because it seems like with the endorsement, Vance, Gibbons, and Mandel, you could throw a blanket over their poll results and cover all of them. Uh, I do think it's going to drive the result. Uh, if, if, if you look at the latest poll from Trafalgar, it had Josh at 28, J.D. at 23, and then Gibbons down at 14%. And, but on the, on the next question of does a Trump endorsement make it more or less likely to support a candidate, and 55% said more likely. So I expect the next Trafalgar poll to, to kind of show a bit different results. And, you know, there was a poll put out uh, earlier today uh, by the PAC supporting J.D., which showed that uh, he jumped up to around 37 percent. Um, and so, you know, that would, again, this is a poll taken after the Trump endorsement. So he's at 37. Next is closer to Josh at 14, Ooh. Gibbons at 9, as well as Matt Dolan. And then they're about 21 percent undecided. So if, if that is the trend now, uh, my guess is, you know, it would be hard for J.D. to not win the, the election here in a couple weeks. Uh, Matt Mayer is our guest, Opportunity Ohio. OpportunityOhio.org is the website. Matt's the president of that organization. So I am shocked in the aftermath of the Trump endorsement how many people have come out and said they're still not going to vote for J.D. Vance. And I love the work of uh, John Stover and Ohio Value Voters. He sent an email out to his people saying, don't go to the rally. Don't support J.D. Vance. They're in the Josh Mandel camp. I know there are others who are all in on Mike Gibbons. Uh Vance has had to overcome this hurdle ever since he started this campaign of the things he said about Trump in 2016 with Trump's endorsement. Are you surprised that's still an issue? And if value voters don't go for Vance, could that tip the election to Josh Mandel, their preferred candidate? Um, so, look, I'm not surprised that there are, are high passions all around the horn on this endorsement, simply because one of the downsides of President Trump waiting so long to endorse is that you know, segments of Ohio Republican primary voters got pretty invested in a candidate, right? And to expect those folks to now go, oh, okay, well, Trump's going to go with somebody else. So, so, so why? That's not going to happen overnight. And, it, and for folks that are really supportive of either Gibbons or, or Mandel or Timken, it, it's going to cost.
caused them to do exactly what you saw with the value voters uh, email. But but the head of value voters saying it and the flock doing it are kind of two different things. I suspect some will hold true, but I suspect many others will will go with what Trump, President Trump has, has kind of deemed to be the, the the winning horse in this race. You know, this is a different question than it does not get at all to any you know personal leaning you might have. But I'm interested to know. Who do you think, we presume it's going to be Tim Ryan on the Democratic side, uh, who do you think is the strongest candidate against Ryan? Yeah, so it's going to be Ryan for sure on the other side. And, and you know, let's, let's take a little bit of time to unpack what that means. You know, Tim Ryan is kind of that blue-collar, Akron-Canton area, good name ID, and my guess is he's going to try to run a mere campaign that Sherrod Brown has been so successful running and winning in Ohio. And keep in mind, you know, bookending the Trump 8% wins in 2016 and 2020 in Ohio, Sherrod Brown won by 6% in 2018. So a Democrat can win statewide if they run the right kind of campaign. So I suspect that Tim Ryan will run that blue-collar appeal campaign that that uh, Sherrod Brown does so successful running, right? Which means we need a candidate that can kind of Lessen lessen that kind of a campaign, and so if you look at who who's best suited to do that, that's really going to be J.D. Vance, and I think that's ultimately why Trump decided to endorse him because you know you've got Jane Timken who's a multimillionaire, right? Timken Steel, you know they ship jobs to China. There's some vulnerability there uh, in a big way. You've got um, Josh Mandel who comes from a very wealthy family uh, in terms of of his background, uh, you know. That's not going to cut it. You've got uh, Gibbons, who came from hard travel, pulled him upside by, by the bootstraps, but now he's a very wealthy man, clearly because he's put in 15 to 20 million of his own funds on on, on this race. Uh, and then, of course, Matt Dolan. I don't talk about much because I don't, I, I don't think he's a real serious candidate, uh, given who else is in the race. But you know, he's obviously the son of the owner of the Cleveland Indians. Uh, I will not call them the Guardians. Um, <laughs> That's fine. And, and so, so that so that leaves you know JD, who again. JD, right, came from a very poor background, you know, single parent, lots of dysfunction, went into the Marine Corps, got himself straight, went to Ohio State, did great, got himself into Yale Law School, and the rest, as we know, is history, right? That is a very good, compelling background to go toe-to-toe with Tim Ryan on speaking for Main Street, Ohio, right? And so I think that's why he had such an appeal to the Trump folks and why Trump uh, and his people were willing to overlook the, the shots JD took at the president as well as his voters. Uh, in 2016, uh, during the election season, and what in those things. So, so that's that's my take. Um, you know, the, the biggest the biggest question mark I think is, you know, there's many of us who believe that the media are sitting on stories that will hurt Josh Mandel about his personal life as well as his time in the treasurer's office, and and that they're they're hoping he wins at, uh, the primary so that they can then hit those stories that would then damage him for the race against Tim Ryan, right? This is where the media plays favorites. Mm-hmm. So so that that's another concern, I think, of why uh, the, President Trump decided to put his finger on the thumb on this one uh, with, with J.D. Our guest is Matt Mayer. He's the president of Opportunity Ohio. Their website is opportunityohio.org. Follow him on Twitter, at Ohio Matt. I could ask you a few more Senate questions, but I find the governor's race so interesting because we have a name uh, a well-name recognized incumbent in a state that is increasingly leaning red and is now solidly red 
And yet Mike DeWine, I think, will be, if you total up the votes of Joe Blystone and Jim Renacci, I think Mike DeWine will not have as many votes as those two guys do together. I expect DeWine to win, but what's the long-term damage of Mike DeWine, who's kind of uh, campaigned, quote-unquote, for this uh, re-election bid, a little uh, Joe Biden in the basement-wise? DeWine has not gone out on the campaign trail. I think he's afraid of the reaction he might get wherever he goes. Yeah, so if, if you if you open the aperture just a bit, right, and you look at this, I mean, Mike DeWine has run statewide. Uh, I believe this would be his seventh time, if my my numbers are right, because you know he did as of course as lieutenant governor for Voinovich, and then he had a couple of the Senate runs, and then of course he ran for AG a couple times, and now this is his second run for governor. Uh, so he, he he has enormous name ID in a Republican state. He's an incumbent going for reelection. And yet, according to the Trafalgar poll, the guy's not even at 40 uh, percent. That's deeply problematic if you're Mike DeWine. Let me take a step back from that. It's even more problematic if you're John Husted and you think you're going to run in 2026 and have some kind of advantage because you're part of that incumbent administration. Because clearly, Republican primary voters don't think much of the DeWine-Husted administration, which is why the numbers are where they are and why combined, Renacy, Blystone, and Ron Hood, who got another percent and a half in the in that tally you know they are uh, over 50 percent uh it, it's combined compared to mike dewine so i do think mike dewine will win because neither jim Rainacy nor, nor joe blystone have the financial resources to really be viable in the last three weeks of the campaign heavy radio heavy tv and mike dewine has plenty of those resources both as a establishment fundraiser but also personal wealth of 100 million dollars you know he can just put money in if he needs to to, to make sure that they win Man, politics is a good gig when you're worth $100 million after you spent your life in quote-unquote public service. Our guest is Matt Mayer, OpportunityOhio.org. Since your work at Opportunity Ohio intersects with business, I'm sure you have thoughts on Elon Musk. He now says that he's got $46.5 billion committed to a bid for Twitter. Uh, Twitter obviously isn't crazy about Elon Musk owning it, but what do you think will happen with Elon Musk, and what do you think of the way he's operated to try to get a hold of Twitter? Yeah, so look, I mean, uh, you know, Elon Musk is, looks like he's clearly going to do a tender offer uh, and, go, and, and go to shareholders to try to buy the company uh, from from the shareholders and, and, and go around the board to put out a poison pill. Um, you know, I, I think anybody owning Twitter over the current leadership uh, of Twitter plus the board is going to be beneficial to the conservative, the right um, because it will hopefully increase free speech and stop some of this shadow banning, some of this outright, outright banning uh, in, in, in suppression of speech that has occurred in the last five years uh, by Twitter and other social media companies. I think it's also an important, powerful shot across the, the bow for other uh, media entities to say, you better be careful because there, there are other people out there that have the resources to, to do what Elon Musk is doing if you continue to suppress the right and uh, kill free speech in America. So I, it's, it's an interesting move by Elon that seems to be driving. He's doing it for fun, it seems like, but also because I think in principle he just doesn't believe the way Twitter is operated is, is, is the American way. Matt Mayer, our guest, follow him on Twitter, at Ohio Matt, and he writes a lot of smart stuff about business and the like, and so I know you uh, watch other states and what they do with business And I'm curious your thoughts. I talked the other day on my show about, uh, as conservatives, you know, when do we uh, 
when do we become what we prefer, uh, you know, not to be? Like, how do we fight back against some of the uh, items of the progressive agenda that we might not share? And Ron DeSantis, there were some who uh, in conservative circles criticized the Florida governor for taking what they thought was uh, retribution against Disney. Disney opposes the Florida Parents' Rights and Education Bill. They say they're going to actively campaign against it, try to get it overturned. DeSantis says, okay, great, we'll take away your special uh, tax district or whatever that is. As you view that, and somebody who prizes business, and obviously Disney's huge huge business in Florida, uh, how do you feel about DeSantis and the move that he made there and how he went about it? Look, I think DeSantis right now is the best governor in America, and he is a model for how other governors should operate. I mean, he's out there on behalf of parents, uh, Floridians, to say we're not going to let woke businesses in the progressive left turn Florida into California. And, and I think, you know, Disney and the head of Disney got, got vocal on an issue that they, that, he, that they were wrong about, by the way, and they started attacking Florida and the in the value voters of Florida and the parents in, of Florida who were trying to protect kids from this, you know, left wing progressive uh, indoctrination for kindergarten through third graders. And I think it raised an issue that probably should have been addressed years ago, which is why should Disney get such favorable treatment uh, in Florida when oh look right next door to, to Disney is Universal. Yeah. Why doesn't Universal get its own special district? Right, SeaWorld's just down the road in Tampa. Why don't they get themselves a special district? And you could go on and on. And so I think that the, the, the issue here is Disney made themselves a target, and I think Ron DeSantis uses, uses, uses an opportunity to say they shouldn't have this anyway, so let's, let's go ahead and take this out and, and get uh, fair treatment for all businesses in, in Florida. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I think he's the strongest candidate on the ticket in 2024. I just don't know. Maybe we'll get a scoop uh, on Saturday from President Trump about what he's going to do in 2024, but it bears watching. I always appreciate your perspective, Matt, and appreciate your work okay, at Opportunity Ohio. Really, sure, sure. Can I piece on that? So, so here's the interesting thing, right? If you look at 2024, by the time we get there, keep in mind, we're going to have had four years of, of an aging, visibly aging Joe Biden. And I think that's going to create a contrast election opportunity uh, for the country. And, and so this is, makes it really interesting for Republican primary, right? Given how popular Trump is, we all know that. Ron DeSantis is becoming more and more popular every week, okay? So think about as a, as a primary voter, if you have two men who both advocate the same policies, and one is 78 and the other is in his 40s, vibrant, energetic, coming off of a Biden presidency, I actually think that the numbers over the next couple of years were improved for DeSantis, challenging Trump in a primary and possibly winning, because I think even Republican voters are going to be scratching their head going, oh boy, we just had four years of somebody who, who literally aged before our eyes, created concerns that we worry about, created national security issues. Do we want to take the risk of going that with a 78-year-old guy that we like, but he's our guy, and boy, we don't want to see that happen a second time. So I really think it's going to create an interesting dynamic in 2024 uh, for, for Republican primary voters. And I think you're right, and I think it, I think DeSantis' popularity might be enough that Trump won't want to risk damaging his brand by running and not doing well in the early primaries. So that, that bears exactly watching right. as well. That's exactly right. I think that there—so you, so you, you wonder how this all unfolds. Uh, so there's a lot of time for things to happen, and I would not be so quick to— to, to assume that that uh, Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, even if he wants to be. 
Yeah, agreed. Matt, always great to have you on. Thanks so much for your time. Good luck at opportunityohio.org. Again, Matt Mayer, and follow Matt on Twitter, at Ohio Matt. Have a great day, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Interesting audio yesterday on uh, the Bill Hemmer, Dana Perino show on Fox News in the morning. They had on Hawk Newsom, who is the head of Black Lives Matter in New York. And his comments got a lot of attention because he called Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, a racial slur. We're not going to replay that for you. But I thought two sound bites from Hawk Newsom were very, very, very revealing about BLM, starting with when Bill Hemmer asked him about the murder rate, the astronomical murder rate in New York that has definitely disproportionately affected black youth. Bill Hemmer tries to make the point that, hey, defunding the police, which you're all about, might be part of the problem here in that if you demoralize the police or you diminish the number of police, that might be why the murder rate among black youth is astronomical. Hawk Newsom not having it. I'm just suggesting that maybe the cops are good for the community to help keep them safe. Here's, here's why, the, why don't you buy here, that argument? Here's the problem. Because the cops are not the answer. Answer, poor people commit crimes out of desperation. Address the poverty. The Republicans don't care. But they'll say, we'll teach you. They'll say, we'll teach you to empower yourselves. Democrats want to keep us handicapped and crippled and on welfare, right? But instead of giving us the answer to our problems, is there a reason why? High school students in the South Bronx drop out at a 60% rate. Our schools are failing. You want to end crime? Give the kids programs. Ah, so there it is. Okay, you want to end crime? Give the kids programs. Did you notice what he said about Democrats and how they want to keep them on welfare? What are programs other than a government welfare outreach? Look, I have no problem with after-school programs. Great, all that. But if the head of BLM New York is not going to talk about what it's what it what is at the root cause of the poverty that he says is the reason why there's so much crime in the black community, it's the lack of fathers in the home, the lack of discipline, the lack of extolling the values that you can make it if you work hard enough, meritocracy, those kinds of things. The founding principles of the country work regardless of what your ethnicity is. Is it harder? I get it. It is harder. So that's where the programs come in and can help. And we certainly had all that with affirmative action and the like. But for him to say, just give us programs. We have enough after school basketball or this, that and the other and the crime problem will go away. That is absolutely not not going to fix the problem. Then the topic turned to the six million dollars spent on a mansion in L.A. by Black Lives Matter founder Patrice Cullors. You have to be able to separate the people who started the movement from the people who carried the movement. Great things have come out of Black Lives Matter. We've had more black corporate hires than in the history of this country. We've passed progressive laws. The cops that killed George Floyd wouldn't have been prosecuted. So many of these cops, so many measures for accountability have came as a result of that. I don't want to talk about them anymore. They paid for a house twice I get it. No, dude, dude I, trust hey, me, I live in the, the South Bronx. Where's the money like, going? Like, our money? I can talk to you about Black Lives Matter New York. So there you go. No interest in being transparent, in calling to account the people who raise money from corporations, tons of money, millions of dollars in money, under the same banner as this gentleman, Hawk Newsom, is trying to get to do. Uh, maybe he's doing great things in New York. But this is the problem. Like the allegiance to the organization trumps, trumps truth. And as long as that is the in- situation, 
then it's going to be very hard to take Black Lives Matter serious as anything other than a grift for people who get a lot of money and use a lot of money, which hurts the people who, who are doing bona fide good things. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.